Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. A few months ago, I was reading an article that was written by someone who had interacted with a young person who was um, deconverting, deconstructing. Periodically, we've talked about deconstruction here on a Sunday morning. And the the idea with deconstruction is that something that you believe to be true, primarily usually connected with religious upbringing, maybe you were taught that the Bible is the word of God, that it's truthful. Maybe you're taught that the person of Christ, it's through his death, burial, and resurrection that we're made right with God. Uh, Maybe it's some aspect of God's moral teaching and moral guidelines for our lives. Uh, Deconstruction looks like beginning to question some of those building blocks that maybe you built your life around while you were taught, maybe growing up in a Sunday school or taught in some kind of religious environment, you begin to deconstruct and so you begin to question some of these foundational things that you were taught. You would naturally think that if somebody came to you and said, hey, I'm beginning to deconstruct, that maybe they came across some difficult argument against the truthfulness of Scripture. Uh, Maybe they were in a conversation or came across some things that caused them to question their faith. And that's what this person was somewhat thinking would be the catalyst or the motivation behind this person deconstructing. But rather than a conversation or a book or a group of friends that were influencing him in the direction, he said, actually what caused this person to begin to deconstruct was that they had attended a Coldplay concert. Now, there are plenty of anti-Christian bands around, and Coldplay isn't one of them. Here's what the author of the article said. The lead singer didn't challenge anyone's faith or any particular truth claims from the stage. However, the concert produced in the skeptic, the person who was deconstructing, so many of the feelings he had associated always with worship, the stadium of people singing in unison, the strong emotion elicited by lyrics and melody, the unifying cultural grandeur of it all felt a lot like church. But then what had this former believer been experiencing all those years? It suddenly seemed possible that Christianity was just another man-made phenomenon, enjoyable and moving, but not really true, kind of like a Coldplay concert. As we're in this series in Ephesians, one of the things we've been looking at probably around the past four weeks is Paul and his passion for these people at Ephesus and wanting them to be grounded in truth, rooted in truth, but also he had a passion not for it just to be intellectual brain fodder, 
but for the truth of who Jesus is to permeate the internal beings of their hearts and souls. We mention that in our culture, and we live in a culture that gives incredible amounts of weight to following your heart, following your inner being, following what you have in your mind, but gives sort of precious little credence to sort of redirecting your heart, actually funneling yourself toward that which is true. Paul emphasizes both of those. The author goes on to say this, what if we are seeing the fruit of a generation that was sold endless attempts to make Christ cool and likable, worship relevant and hyper-emotional, and Christian morality more about politics and cultural influence than obedience to God? And what if this generation has now found those experiences elsewhere? What if all of the trendy marketing, political capital, and massive concert experiences inadvertently taught a generation to love the glamour and the feelings, but not to love Christ? Now, friends, if you've been around Southridge, you know that we're passionate about worship. We're passionate about engaging the whole person. And I, that's what I love about Ephesians in these last few weeks. Paul is saying, here is the truth. Root and, root and ground your lives on the truth. But also, it's not just brain food. It's also being food. It's something intended to engage your inner being, your heart, your soul, and your spirit. As sometimes we say this around here, gospel-shaped hearts and minds lead to gospel-directed or gospel-propelled attitudes and actions. Our desire is for our hearts and lives to be shaped and formed by the gospel, not just our brains, but our inner beings, our hearts and our minds to be shaped by gospel truth so that what comes out of us is gospel-propelled or gospel-directed actions and attitudes. Let me just kind of remind you, and I'm just kind of really passionate about all this stuff, and uh, so let me just kind of remind you of where we've been a little bit. Paul is focused on the truth of the person of Jesus, and he's encouraging the people of Ephesus to root and ground themselves in what is true. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 3, he talks about the mystery about Christ that was made known to me by revelation. Paul says the truth about Christ has been made known to him by revelation. He's not simply following his heart. There's truth there. It's not what makes his liver quiver. There's truth about the person of Jesus that he would only know by Christ being revealed. He says in verse 5, the mystery about Christ has been revealed by the Spirit of God to God's holy apostles and prophets. And so once again, it's a revealed truth. Verse 21 of Ephesians 4, when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Paul talks about being taught. He talks about the truth that is in Jesus. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 14 some familiar verses where Paul talks about the armor of God. He says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. 
You can't read Ephesians without understanding Paul's passion for truth. Paul's passion of the people's lives rooted and grounded in that which is true about the person of Jesus. And you know what I love about Ephesians is Paul, again, does not say, hey, this is just brain food. He says, this is being food. It's not just truth you hold into intellectually and lives dormantly in your mind. He said it's truth that actually lives and is a vital part of your soul, your heart, and your inner being. He says in verse 16 and 17 of Ephesians 3, I pray that out of his glorious riches, they're, they're glorious, they're beautiful, they're radiant, he may strengthen you. He's talking about being strengthened internally with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul overflows with this language that truth is to be alive in our inner beings so that Christ may, as a person, may dwell in your hearts through faith. You hear all of the language. Yes, Paul is rooted and grounded in truth, but he's also saying this impacts our inner beings. Verse 18, that you may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, not just factual knowledge, but the love of Christ permeating your inner being. Verse 20, not him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. So his power is active and vital in our beings. Paul is passionate about us orienting our lives in a direction of the gospel. Now, I'm actually going to go back and grab a couple of verses from last week. John did an awesome job, by the way, last week, didn't he? He did an awesome job. Um, I only got a couple problems with John. Number one, his arms are bigger than my calves. Uh, That's one of the the problems. But but I'll give you the second problem. I came in Monday morning, like John speaks Sunday morning. The dude's parked in my parking space. I'm like, so, I don't know. I was going to have his car towed, but I didn't. So, you know, being the kind, generous person I am. Uh, we've got a great staff, thankful for it, thankful, yeah, so anyway, just done, John did an awesome job. These are actually some of my favorite verses, so I kind of like have to go back to them, but they also are the foundation for what we're going to talk about this week, and we're just going to spend actually a few minutes kind of at, on, at the end, and then all of next week is going to be based on this as well. So again, for this week, what I want you to remember is this. Put off, and when you think of put off, think visually of this side, and then put on, and when you do that, think visually of this side. So we've got put off and put on. There's two entirely different realms, two entirely different spheres. Again, this is one of my favorite things that I'm really passionate about, so we're going to dive in a little bit and then launch into some other stuff. But um, so this over here is put off, and I actually need somebody to um, come up and write some things on the flip chart, and I'll tell you exactly what to write. Uh, believe me, the bar is very low in terms of handwriting, and so uh, anybody want to kind of volunteer and come up and just do some flip chart stuff? Sure, come on up, um, and I'll need some volunteers later on, so yeah, come on up, and uh, I'll tell you what to write, and then we'll get into the verses here in one second. So uh, as we read this verse, and you can actually start writing right away. Yeah, you can read, use the black one here. If you can write this list here on this flip chart, this list right here. 
Awesome. So as she writes that, we're going to read the verse. Um, here we are, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. It'll be in the screens. Notice he says, you were taught. So right away, Paul is talking about teaching again. He's talking about truth. You were taught. And by the way, when I read this verse, I want you to say with me out loud all the words that are underlined and bold-faced. He says, you were taught with regard to your of life to your which is being it's yeah, now, she's going to be writing down a lot of those keywords. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Paul says, put off your old self. Now, when he's saying, talking about putting off your old self, he's not saying, like, just put off some behaviors. Yes, it's inclusive of behaviors, but he's not just saying, like, hey, shape up. He's not just saying, hey, get into sort of like the religious performance mode. No, the word their self is actually could simply be translated person. Uh, thank you very much. Awesome. Give her a hand. She did a great job. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry you had to use that side. But so this is the put off side. He says put off. It's the former way of life. Put it off. It's your old self. It's filled with deceitful desires that the idea of old self is the old person. Literally, it could be translated the old humankind. This isn't just behaviors. This is the whole, like, who you are self. Not just kind of like what you do. Not kind of like little peripheral things that find their way into your life. This is your whole being. Put off your whole old being. Put off your old humanness. Put off your old humanity. Put off your old humankind. He says it's being corrupted by your deceitful desires, desires that lead you down the wrong path. Now, when it says deceitful desires and like all this stuff, it, like it can feel probably really maybe extreme. And just kind of think of a continuum with me here. Maybe on the one side, maybe it is a little more extreme. Maybe the old self is like antagonistic toward God. And, you know, you and I have certainly run into people like that who are just sort of almost defiantly antagonistic against God. But sometimes we can read a list like this and, and, and kind of like understand it in only that way. Defiantly antagonistic toward God. What's well, obviously evil, it's obviously deceitful desires. But, but take it a step further. Maybe next on the spectrum of, yeah, I'm not arrogantly defiant of God. I'm not defiantly antagonistic of him. God is just irrelevant. He's non-essential. He's kind of like a non-factor in my life. And so the old self isn't just defiant antagonism or atheism. The old self is also characterized by, yeah, God thing, been there, done that, what's for breakfast? It's not essential. It's a non-factor. It's thoughtless. But, but take another step farther. The old self doesn't simply look like defiant antagonism, that God's kind of irrelevant. This may be more applicable to, to some of us. Maybe over here, the old self looks like religious obligation. Like I do all kinds of stuff, and I live a morally clean life, People respect me and admire me, and I'm known as a church person, 
but I'm disconnected from the person of Christ. Paul says, that's the old self too. You see, the gospel is not just for the defiantly antagonistic atheist or the person who, yeah, God's sort of a non-factor or irrelevant. He's also for, yeah, I, I do my religious thing. I go to church all the time. You know, when I die, I just hope the good outweighs the bad, and I think I'm good to go. That's the old self. That's the old self. Now, here's the deal. Paul says, we've got to put off this and put on this. I already said, the old self is more than behaviors. Yes, it includes that, but it's more than that. So how do we get from there over to here what we should put on? We're supposed to put off and put on, but how does that transition happen? Well, first of all, it's a supernatural work of God that through his spirit, we're changed and rather than being separated and disconnected from God through Christ, we actually come into union with God and now we're his sons and daughters. Ephesians 4, 23 and 24, these are the next verses. It says, so you are taught to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, say the next word with me, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Here's what I want you to catch, friends. That word creative is passive. In other words, a lot of this stuff is active. Put off, put on, that's action-oriented. That's stuff that we're called to do. But the only way that we can do that is because God has done the work of making us new, of transforming us. There's active verbs that say, hey, we're taking action. And then there's passive verbs that say, this action has been taken toward us. And so the way that we get from here to there in terms of our nature, in terms of our human beings, is through the center cross that we're created to be like, a, it's the work of Jesus that makes us new and creates us. Uh, you might remember when we looked at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. By the way, you could translate that. He, we have been created. Ephesians 2, 8 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, that, so that no one can boast. Say that with me again, and I'm just wanting you to read the, verse, the words that are underlined and highlighted. For it is by grace. You have been saved through grace. And this is not from yourselves. It is the yes. not by so that no one can boast. And so Paul is making this clear. He says putting off and putting on doesn't make you a new person. Christ makes you a new person. He's the one that transforms you. He's the one that removes the curse of sin and removes the wall of separation between you and God. And it's through Christ that you become a new person. And then you begin to put on the new person. Good. So here we go. Why don't we, so we're going to, so put off, put on, volunteer for this side. Anybody want to volunteer to do some writing? Who's, who's, who's up for it? Anybody? There we go. We, uh, so this side is going to be based on Ephesians chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, the verses that we just looked at. Um, 
Kathy, here you go. And you can write on this chart this list here, all right? And as she writes that, we'll kind of read, kind of, you, we put off, and this is what we put on. So let's read, well, I'll read it. Uh, actually, I'll read it and say the uh, underlined words with me. To be in the attitude or of your, to the created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So this is your former way of life. This is being made new. This is put off. That's put on. This is old self. That's new self. That's his deceitful desires. This is spirit of your mind. The attitude, the disposition of your mind. In other words, when Christ rescues you, when he saves you, he changes your disposition of mind toward God. No longer are you defiantly antagonistic. No longer is God simply just irrelevant and a non-factor, but no longer is God also just kind of a moralistic judge. Instead, the disposition, the spirit, the attitude, the perception of your mind is radically changed because now through Christ, you're fully embraced and fully receive the love of the Father. Let me just kind of like put another couple other verses that kind of highlight some of these things. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 5, and you'll see some of these other words come up from these verses. Uh, the flesh and death and the spirit and life and peace. Here's what Romans 8, 5 says. Those who live according to the flesh, that's the old self, have their minds, their disposition set on what the flesh desires. You hear the deceitful desires there. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. So once again, there's flesh and there's spirit. There's death and there's life and peace. Romans 8, 6, the mind governed by the flesh is death. The mind governed by simply following after your heart, by following your intuition, by not directing your heart, just following where you want to go, that actually leads to death. Your flesh is that part of you that's just like disconnected from God. It's, it's who you are, absent relationship with God, just your normal desires, your raw appetites, when somebody cuts you off in traffic, you want to cut them off, that's your flesh. When somebody makes a stab at you, you want to make a stab back at them, that's your flesh. It's, it's the raw part of you that's uninformed by the beauty of God's grace and truth. But over here, it's God's spirit where the fruit is love and joy and peace, long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Notice how often, both in the verses that we looked at in Ephesians, as well as the one in Romans and Colossians, Paul mentions the idea of our minds, not just our brain. He's talking about more the disposition of your being. 
The attitude of your heart might be a way of summing up what the mind is. The attitude of your heart, the disposition of your mind, the disposition of your heart. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Again, this isn't simply just brain stuff. This is being stuff. So how does this look? In uh, one second here, we're actually going to get into the verses for today. But the verses for today talk, and they assume that this is our old self, Christ makes us new through his spirit. We become a new self, and then there's stuff that we put off, and there's stuff that we put on. And the verses for today lifts kind of like five different categories of things that we're to put off and things that we're to put on. Now, here's if you don't hear anything else today, here's what I want you to hear. You may say, like, I don't get how this works. Uh, I think the most helpful illustration I've heard of this came from Tim Keller. And he made this quote, follow with me on this, because it's, it's huge. He says, you can take a person out of slavery in a second. It takes a lifetime to get the slavery out of the person. You, with a stroke of a pen, somebody can remove from slavery. June 19th is coming up, I guess, in a few months away. That's kind of about that whole deal. Slaves were proclaimed to be free, but the proclamation was just a proclamation, and it took many, many years for that to actually be experienced. You can take a person out of slavery in a heartbeat. If the stroke of pen, with the judgment of a judge, But it takes a lifetime to take slave-like behaviors out of the person. Think about it this way. Maybe another example. You can adopt a child, and God adopts us as his sons and his daughters in a moment of time. When you embrace Jesus, He makes you a new creation in Christ. You fully belong to him. You are fully righteous before him. It's a moment in a second of time. Jesus adopts you as a son or his daughter. Even in our modern day, it takes the stroke of a pen to adopt a child. But it can take a lifetime for that child to actually live like they are adopted. Maybe in a moment or maybe even decades, that child thinks, am I still on my own? Do I still have to provide for myself? I've got to be my own protector. Will somebody abandon me? And we all know that sometimes children have lifelong trauma because they've been taken out of being an orphan in a second. But it takes a lifetime to take the orphan out of them. 
It takes a lifetime of them actually putting on behaviors that I am loved. My environment is stable. My environment is secure. I don't need to fight for myself. I don't need to fend for myself. I'm provided for. It takes a second of time to take somebody out of being an orphan. And it can take a lifetime to take the orphan out of the person. It takes a second for God to make us new creations, to take us out of our old self, to transform our lives. And it takes a lifetime to take the slavery out of us, to take old behaviors out of us, to take old attitudes and actions out of our lives. So next few verses... Paul actually mentions a number of categories that should transition in our lives. He says, put off and put on. Uh, So once again, I actually need two more volunteers up here. Uh, Somebody else want to volunteer? Can't, uh, maybe, we got to have new fresh hands because it's totally, sure, go ahead. Um, And then another one for over here as well. Sure, got a long ways to run, but that's awesome. Great, and so we're going to read together, actually, uh, Romans 4.25 and 5.2. Uh, Nancy, you can, this is the list for this side. And Jeremy, this is the list for this side. So they're going to be writing up here. And uh, while they write, let's all stand. And we're going to read these verses together. And they're going to capture sort of the five categories that Paul compares and he contrasts of what we should put off and what we should put on because this belongs to the old self, this belongs to the new self. Ready to go? So I'll start off. I'll read the ones that say leader, and then we can all read the ones that say all. Therefore, each one of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. We all members of one body. If in your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful Awesome. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Awesome. Great job. You can be seated. And why don't we thank Nancy and Jeremy for their help. Um, yeah, much. I probably should do this more often, right? It's much more legible um, when other people write. So, uh, so... so What they wrote, they kind of summarized those verses. Uh, Paul gives us five things to put off, five broad categories. 
gives us some other stuff to do, but five broad categories to put off, and then also five related things to put on. He says, put off falsehood because it belongs to your old self. Put on truthful speaking. Put off anger, or he says, literally says, don't be, he says, be angry and don't sin. There are things that we should be angry at. And we should be angry at evil in our world. We should be angry when others are harmed. But the anger that he's talking about here is a sort of get even kind of anger. Like I'll even the score, retaliation, vengeful kind of anger. It's self-centered anger, self-protective anger. Anger that's caused when someone crosses me and, and disrupts my life. He says, put away that kind of anger. And he says, you should be angry, but release the anger to God. He's the ultimate judge. He's the ultimate one who will give vengeance. Offer forgiveness. He includes all that. He also says, put off stealing and put on working so you can share with others. Put off stealing and put on working. He says, put off Rotten talk, unwholesome language, kind of means the idea is rotten. Just, it's not helpful. Put off rotten talk. Put on talk of building up. He says, put off rage or malice. And he actually gives a list of things. Put on kindness and forgiveness. Now remember, this is rooted in old self. This is rooted in old human being. This comes from new self. This comes from the new human being created in Christ Jesus. And then he says, that's God's work to transform us. But then he says, as you engage your minds in God's truth, as, as his truth seeps into your spirit, as it seeps into your minds, put off these behaviors and put on these behaviors over here. Now, Next week with Accelerate Weekend, uh, we're going to dive fairly deeply into the anger issue, a lot of the rage and malice issues, so we're not going to cover that this week. Uh, I'm just going to maybe dive into falsehood and show you kind of how that works, and literally you can do that same thing with all of these, uh, but again, we'll talk more about some of these next Sunday. So let's go with falsehood. Falsehood belongs to the old self. Why are we prone to lie? Why are we prone to say something that's false? Well, according to what Paul already said, it has something to do with our deceitful desires, right? So the reason we lie, the reason we don't tell the truth, is because it has something to do with our deceitful desires. And what do those desires look like? Well, the reason we're probably prone to lie is if I don't lie, maybe I look bad. Maybe if I lie about things I've accomplished, I build myself up. Maybe I have a sense of inferiority, and so I lie about the kind of job or the kind of employment that I have. Maybe I lie about the kind of family that I have, and I paint it slightly differently. Maybe I mislead people about things I've accomplished, and maybe I mislead people about sort of my 
level of entertainment enjoyment. Why, why do I lie? Because the deceitful desires say, if I can make myself look better in somebody else's eyes, that will give me life. That's a deceitful desire. See how the old self results in deceitful desires, and that results in all of these things. Our deceitful desires say, do this, steal, talk unwholesomely, have rage or malice, because you're going to find life there. You're going to find vengeance there. You're going to feel better there. That's what your deceitful desires tell you. If you exaggerate the truth, it feels more dramatic and you feel more important. Your inner being just feels momentarily strengthened, but it's false because it's not really strengthened. Does that make sense? That belongs to the old self, the deceitful desires, the falsehood. Over here, he says, speak truth. Why? Well, because Christ is life. And so let's just kind of remember some things. Remember, all the way back in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul says, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. In verse 5 of Ephesians 1, he says, in love, he predestined us for the adoption to sonship. In chapter 2, verse 6, he says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. See, the person over here, their, their new self is in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Their new self, Christ can dwell in their heart through faith. And so they don't need to exaggerate. They don't need to tell a falsehood. Why? Because life isn't found in building themselves up. Life isn't found in inflating information about who they are. Life isn't found in misleading somebody's perception of them. Instead, they can speak truthfully because life is found in Christ. That's the way the gospel works. So again, we're delivered from the old self in a second of time, but it takes all of our lives to actually live into the new self that has been created in Christ Jesus. And how does that happen? By constantly renewing our minds. It's why we gather here together. That's why we sing songs. That's why we say scripture. That's why we connect in groups. That's why we have teaching on Sunday morning. Why? Because it's not as though you come in here and think, oh, like maybe I'll forget Jesus was crucified. Like you're not going to forget the information of the gospel. Your being is going to forget the beauty of the gospel. And so we come together to renew our minds, to change the disposition of our attitudes and orient ourselves to the beauty of God's truth. And as we sing together, as we read scripture together, as we interact together, there's something beautiful that happens. Well, there's no better way to close than simply celebrate communion together. And that's what we're going to do next. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, 
as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. During communion, we take a wafer that represents the body of Christ crucified on a cross. We take a cup of juice that represents his shed blood. We renew our minds. We fix our minds. Don't be mentally lazy during this time. Like if you're going to amp up mentally, do it now. We focus our minds on the fact that we're loved. We focus our minds, we absorb into our beings. Even as our physical bodies break down and digest physical food, we absorb into our minds, we absorb into our spirits, we, we break down and we digest the food that God loves us, that we're no longer separated from the Father in heaven. And just as your food is absorbed into your full body, the truth of the gospel is absorbed into every nook and cranny of your being. And you're strengthened in your inner being. And so as we celebrate communion, may we be strengthened together as we absorb, as we receive into our beings the beauty of Christ, his love, his sacrifice for us. It's not important for you to be a member of Southridge to participate. Uh, we simply ask that you do have a relationship with God through Christ. And maybe this is the moment that you embrace him as your savior. If you're still kind of processing that, just feel free to remain seated during this time. We're totally good with that, totally fine with that. Just hang out and speak to God, reflect. Let's take a wafer and a cup of juice back to our seats and then we'll take it together. Uh, we'll kind of dismiss a section. Will the far section and this section go? You guys can get up the balcony. You've got stations up there as well. Take the wafer and cup of juice back to your seat, and we'll take them together. <laughs>